Chapters six and seven of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six The Cottage in the Lane. It was so called because it stood at the end of a broad, grassy avenue or lane which led from the park to the entrance of the grounds of Collingwood, whose chimneys and gables were distinctly visible in the winter when the trees were stripped of their foliage at the time when mrs crawford took possession of it its colour was red but the storms and rains of eleven summers and winters had washed nearly all the red away and as mrs crawford had never had the money to spare for its repainting it would have presented a brown and dingy appearance outwardly but for the luxurious woodbine which she had trained with so much care and skill that it covered nearly three sides of the cottage and made a gorgeous display in the autumn when the leaves had turned a bright scarlet thanks to the thoughtfulness of arthur tracy the cottage was furnished comfortably and even prettily when mrs crawford entered it and it was from the same kind friend that her resources mostly had come up to the day when three years after her marriage amy hastings came home to die bringing with her a little two-year-old boy whom she called harold for his father just where the father was if indeed he were living she did not know he had left her in london six months before saying he was going to paris for a few days and should be back before she had time to miss him just before he left her he said to her playfully cheer up petite i have not been quite as regular in my habits as i ought to have been but london is not the place for a man of my tastes too many temptations for a fellow like me when i come back we will go into the country where you can have a garden with flowers and chickens and grow fat and pretty again you are not much like the girl i married good-bye then he kissed her and the baby and went whistling down the stairs she never saw him again and only heard from him once then he was in po where he said they were having such fine fox hunts weeks went by and he neither wrote nor came and amy would have been utterly destitute and friendless but for arthur tracy who when her need was greatest went to her telling her that he had never been far from her but had watched over her vigilantly to see that no harm came to her when her husband went to paris he knew it through a detective and from the same source knew when he went to po where all trace of him had been lost but we are sure to find him he said encouragingly and meantime i shall see that you do not suffer as an old friend of your husband you will allow me to care for you until he is found and amy who had no alternative accepted his care and tried to seem cheerful and brave while waiting for the husband who never came back at last when all hope was gone arthur sent her home to the cottage in the lane where her mother received her gladly thanking heaven that she had her daughter back again but not for long poor amy's heart was broken she loved her husband devotedly and his cruel desertion of her for she knew now it was that hurt her more than years of suffering with him could have done occasionally she heard from arthur who was still busy in search of the delinquent and who always sent in his letter a substantial proof of his friendship and generosity and so the weeks and months went by and then there came a letter from arthur saying that harold hastings had died in berlin and been buried at his expense a few weeks later and amy too lay dead in her coffin and they buried her under the november snow which was falling in great sheets upon the frozen ground what arthur felt when he heard the news no one ever knew for he made no sign but at once gave orders to colvin that a costly monument should be placed at her grave with only this inscription upon it amy aged twenty-three of course the low-minded people talked and mrs crawford knew they did but her heart was too full of sorrow to care what was said 
her beautiful daughter was dead and she was alone with the little boy who had inherited his mother's beauty with all her lovely traits of character had mrs crawford consented arthur would have supported him entirely but she was too proud for that she would take care of him herself as long as possible she wrote him but if when harold was older he chose to educate him she would offer no objection and there the matter dropped and mrs crawford struggled on as best she could sometimes going out to do plain sewing sometimes taking it home sometimes going to people's houses to superintend when they had company and sometimes selling fruit and flowers from the garden attached to the cottage but whatever she did she was always the same quiet ladylike woman who commanded the respect of all and who poor as she was was held in high esteem by the better class in shannondale grace atherton's carriage and that of edith st clair stood oftener before her door than that at tracy park and though the ladies came mostly on business they found themselves lingering after the business was over to talk with one who in everything save money was their equal harold was a noble little fellow full of manly instincts and always ready to deny himself for the sake of others that he and his grandmother were poor he knew but he had never felt the effects of their poverty save when tom tracy had jeered at him for it and called him a pauper there had been one square fight between the two boys in which harold had come off victor with only a torn jacket while tom's eye had been black for a week and mrs tracy had gone to the cottage to complain and insist that harold should be punished but when she heard that dick st clair had assisted in the fray taking harold's part and himself dealing tom the blow which blackened his eye she changed her tactics for she did not care to quarrel with mrs st clair of grassy spring harold and richard st clair or dick as he was familiarly called were great friends and if the latter knew there was a difference between himself and the child of poverty he never manifested it and played far oftener with harold than with tom whose domineering disposition and rough manners were distasteful to him that harold would one day be obliged to earn his living mrs crawford knew but he was still too young for anything of that kind and when grace atherton or mrs st clair offered him money for the errands he sometimes did for them she always refused to let him take it had she known of mrs tracy's proposition that he should present at the party as hall-boy she would have declined for though she could go there herself as an employee she shrank from suffering harold to do so that mrs tracy was not a lady she knew and in her heart there was a feeling of superiority to the woman even while she served her and she was not as sorry perhaps as she ought to have been for the attack of rheumatism which would prevent her from going to the park to take charge of the kitchen during the evening i am sorry to disappoint her but i am glad not to be there she was thinking to herself as she sat in her bright cheerful kitchen waiting for harold when he burst in upon her exclaiming oh grandma only think i am invited to the party and i told her i'd go and i'm to be there at half-past seven sharp and to wear my meetin clothes invited to the party what do you mean only grown-up people are to be there mrs crawford said yes i know harold replied but i'm not to be with the grown-ups i'm to stay in the upper hall and tell em where to go oh you are to be a waiter was mrs crawford's rather contemptuous remark which harold did not heed in his excitement yes i'm to be at the head of the stairs and somebody else at the bottom and they are to fiddlin and dancin i've never seen anybody dance and i scream and cake with something like plaster all over it and oranges and cake and oh everything dick st clair told me he knows 
his mother has had parties and she's going to-night and her gown is crimson velvet with black and white fur on it like our cat only they don't call it that and oh i forgot they have had a telegraph and i took it to mrs tracy who almost cried when she read it mr arthur tracy is coming home to-night harold had talked so fast that his grandmother could hardly follow him but she understood what he said last and started as if he had struck her a blow arthur tracy coming home to-night she exclaimed oh i am so glad but mrs tracy did not seem to be and i guess she wanted to stop the party harold said repeating as nearly as he could what had passed between him and the lady harold was full of the party to which he believed he had been invited and when in the afternoon dick st clair came up to the cottage to play with him he felt a kind of patronizing pity for his friend who was not to share his honour perhaps mother will let me come over and help you dick said i know how they do it you mustn't talk to the people as they come up the stairs nor even say good evening only ladies will please walk this way and gentlemen that and dick went through with a pantomime performance for the benefit of harold who when the drill was over felt himself competent to receive the queen's guests at the head of the great staircase in windsor castle yes i know he said ladies this way and gentlemen that but when am i to go down and see the dancing and get some ice cream on this point dick was doubtful he did not believe he said that the waiters ever went down to see the dancing or to get ice cream until the party was over and then they ate it in the kitchen if there was any left this was not a cheerful outlook for harold whose thoughts were more intent upon cream and dancing than upon showing the people where to go and it was also the second time the word waiter had been used in connection with what he was expected to do but harold was too young to understand that he was not of the party itself later on it would come to him fast enough that he was only a part of the machinery which moved the social engine now he felt like the engine itself and long before six o'clock he was dressed and waiting anxiously for his grandmother's permission to start i'll tell you all about it he said to her what they do and what they say and what they wear and if i can i'll speak to mr arthur tracy and thank him for mother's gravestone by seven o'clock he was on his way to the park walking rapidly and occasionally saying aloud with a gesture of his hand to the right and the left and a bow almost to the ground ladies this way and gentlemen that when he reached the house the gas jets had just been turned up and every window was ablaze with light from the attic to the basement my eye ain't it swell harold said to himself as he stood a moment looking at the brilliantly lighted rooms don't i wish i was rich and could burn all that gas and maybe i shall be grandma says mr arthur tracy was once a poor boy like me only he had an uncle and i haven't i've got to earn my money and i mean to and sometime maybe i'll have a house as big as this and just such a party with a boy upstairs to tell him where to go i wonder now if i'm expected to go into the kitchen door of course not i've got on my sunday clothes and i'm invited to the party i shall ring and he did ring a sharp loud ring which made mrs tracy who had not yet left her room start nervously as she wondered who had come so early old peterkin of course those whom you care for least always come first peering over the banister tom tracy saw harold when the door opened and screaming to his mother at the top of his voice 
it ain't old peterkin mother it's hal hastings come to the front door he ran down the stairs and confronting the intruder just as he was crossing the threshold exclaimed go long you ain't no business ringing the bell as if you was a guest go to the kitchen door with the other servants with a thrust of the hand he pushed harold back and was able to shut the door upon him when with a quick dexterous movement harold darted past him into the hall saying as he did so darn you tom tracy i won't go to the kitchen door and i'm not a servant and if you call me so again i'll lick you how the matter would have ended is doubtful if mrs tracy had not called from the head of the stairs thomas thomas tracy i am ashamed of you come to me this minute and you boy go to the kitchen or no now you are here come upstairs and i'll tell you what to do her directions were very much like those of dick st clair except that she laid more stress upon the fact that he was not to speak to any one familiarly but was to be in all respects a machine just what she meant by that harold did not know but he hung his cap on a bracket and taking his place where she told him to stand watched her admiringly as she went down the staircase followed by her husband who looked anxious and ill at ease tom had disappeared but his younger brother jack who was wholly unlike him came to harold's side and began telling him what quantities of good things there were in the dining-room and pantry and that his uncle arthur was coming home that night and his mother was so glad she cried then with a spring he mounted upon the banister of the long staircase and slipped swiftly to the bottom ascending the stairs almost as quickly as he had gone down he bade harold try it with him it's such fun and mother won't care i've done it forty times he said as harold demurred and then as the temptation became too strong to be resisted two boys instead of one rode down the banister and landed in the lower hall and two pairs of little legs ran nimbly up the stairs just as the door opened and admitted the first arrival chapter seven the party the invitations had been for half-past seven and precisely at that hour peterkin arrived magnificent in his swallow tail and white shirt-front where an enormous diamond shone conspicuously with him came mrs peterkin whose name was mary jane but whom her husband always called may jane she was a frail pale-faced little woman who had once been grace atherton's maid and had married peterkin for his money this was her first appearance at a grand party and in her excitement and timidity she did not hear harold's thrice-repeated words ladies go that way but followed her husband into the gentlemen's dressing-room where she deposited her wraps and then shaking in every limb descended to the drawing-room where peterkin's loud voice was soon heard as he slapped his host on the shoulder and said you see we are here on time though may jane said it was too early but i suppose half-past seven meant half-past seven and then i wanted a little time to talk up the ropes with you we are going to run you in you bet and again his coarse laugh thrilled every nerve in mrs tracy's body and she longed for fresh arrivals to help quiet this vulgar man soon they began to come by twos and threes and sixes and harold was kept busy with his ladies this way and gentlemen that after mrs peterkin had gone downstairs leaving her wraps in the gentlemen's room harold who knew they did not belong there had carried them to the ladies room and deposited them upon the bed just as the girl who was to be in attendance appeared at her post asking him sharply why he was in there rummaging the ladies things i'm not rummaging they are mrs peterkin's she left them in the other room and i brought them here 
harold said as he returned to the hall eager and excited and interested in watching the people as they came up the stairs and went down again with the quick instinct of a bright intelligent boy he decided who was accustomed to society and who was not and leaning over the banister when not on duty watched them as they entered the drawing-room and were received by mr and mrs tracy unconsciously he began to imitate them bowing when they bowed and saying softly to himself oh how do you do good evening happy to see you pleasant to-night walk in yes this was the monosyllable with which he finished every sentence and was the affirmation to the thought in his mind that he too would some day go down those stairs and into those parlours as a guest while some other boy in the upper hall bade the ladies go this way and the gentleman that it was after nine when mr and mrs st clair arrived with squire harrington from collingwood harold had been looking for them anxious to see the crimson satin trimmed with ermine of which dick had told him many of the guests he had mentally criticised unsparingly but mrs st clair he knew was genuine and his face beamed when in passing him she smiled upon him with her sweet gracious manner and said pleasantly good evening harold i knew you were to be here dick told me and he wanted to come and help you but i thought he'd better stay home with nina up to this time no one had spoken to harold and he had spoken to no one except to tell them where to go but had as far as possible followed mrs tracy's injunction to be a machine but the machine was getting a little tired it was hard work to stand for two hours or more and mrs tracy had impressed it upon him that he was not to sit down but when mrs st clair came from the dressing-room and stood before him a moment he forgot his weariness and forgot that he was not to talk and said to her involuntarily oh mrs st clair how handsome you look handsomer than anybody yet and different too somehow edith knew the compliment was genuine and she replied thank you harold then laying her hand on his head and parting his soft brown hair she said as she noticed a look of fatigue in his eyes are you not tired standing so long why don't you bring a chair from one of the rooms and sit when you can she told me to stand harold replied nodding toward the parlors from which a strain of music just then issued the dancing had commenced and harold's feet and hands beat time to the lively strains of the piano and violin until he could contain himself no longer the dancing he must see at all hazards and know what it was like and when the last guests came up the stairs there was no hall-boy there to tell them ladies this way and gentlemen that for harold was in the thickest of the crowd standing on a chair so as to look over the heads of those in front of him and see the dancers but alas for poor harold he was soon discovered by mrs tracy who asking him if he did not know his place better than that ordered him back to his post where he was told to stay until the party was over wholly unconscious of the nature of his offence but very sorry that he had offended harold went up the stairs wondering why he could not see the dancing and how long the party would last his head was beginning to ache with the glare and gas his little legs were tired and he was growing sleepy surely he might sit down now particularly as mrs st clair had suggested it and bringing a chair from one of the rooms he sat down in a corner of the hall and was soon in a sound sleep from which he was roused by the sound of mr tracy's voice as he came up the stairs followed by a tall distinguished-looking man who wore a spanish cloak wrapped gracefully around him and a large broad-brimmed hat drawn so closely as to hide his features from view 
as he reached the upper landing he raised his head and harold who was now wide awake and standing up caught a glimpse of a thin pale face and a pair of keen black eyes which seemed for an instant to take everything in then the head was dropped and the two men disappeared in a room at the far end of the hall i'll bet that's mr arthur how grand he is looks just like a pirate in that cloak and hat was harold's mental comment before he had time for further thought frank tracy came from the room and hurried down the stairs to rejoin his guests five minutes later and the door at the end of the long hall which communicated with the back staircase and the rear of the house opened and a man whom harold recognized as the express man from the station appeared with a huge trunk on his shoulder and a large valise in his hand these he deposited in the stranger's room and then went back for more until four had been carried in but when he came with the fifth and largest of all a hand white and delicate as a woman's was thrust from the doorway with an imperative gesture and a voice with a decided foreign accent exclaimed for heaven's sake don't bring any more boxes in here why i'm positively stumbling over them now surely there must be some place in the house for my luggage besides my private apartment then the door was shut with a bang and harold heard the sliding of the bolt as arthur tracy fastened himself into his room End of chapter six and seven